This is a Rooster Teeth production. Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and help make happen in real time. I'm Charles Bulliamore, writer for io9 and social media agitator. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Rooster Teeth Productions and the internet's supportive dad. Uh, today, we're talking about The Mandalorian, Star Wars The High Republic, and the larger current moment in the Star Wars fandom's history. Between a fleet of new live-action series, more upcoming movies, and new books about Star Wars' distant past, there's more Star Wars content than ever for people to consume, and we're going to dig into how the franchise's presence in people's mind has been kind of a double-edged sword. But first, we're rolling into cannon fodder, our quick breakdown of some of the week's most interesting entertainment news stories. All right. So first off in the news, something that was happening kind of uh, a lot of a lot last week, but is very pertinent to what we're talking about today is uh, Ubisoft is developing a new Star Wars open world game. And alongside that, uh, with EA's control of, uh, you know, Star Wars games in the past, Battlefront 2 went free on the Epic Game Store and actually got like. A big audience. Didn't we talk about this last week, Charles? We talked about it a little bit. We talked about the more recent Star Wars game, the one that stars that guy from Shameless, whose name I always forget. But this one I was really curious about because I remember hearing a lot of news about Battlefront when it initially came out, right? There was all this promise of being able to, you know, effectively live through your favorite Star Wars moments, you know, as a player. Um, Mm -hmm. But then all of that promise really got kind of mired and bogged down in the game's microtransaction system that was widely panned. Um, that has all since been, you know, um, removed and more downloadable content has been added to the game. You know, you can get all kinds of things that are from more recent Star Wars stories like The Mandalorian. That kind of stuff is there, but it's all coming, you know, years after the initial launch at a point when I kind of think a lot of people have moved on just in terms of where their focus is on Star Wars games. Yeah, but they but they did when they launched it on Epic Game Store. I think it was Ubisoft's Twitter account like put out that they got like 19 million people downloaded mm, yeah. the game. And it's like this game is like you said years and years old and while I I'll, I'll admit from myself and other people who are who have still played it throughout the years, it's like it became a really good game after the conversation about uh you know, microtransactions died down mm-hmm, and yeah the developers of the game just kept putting out more and more content. They put out, you know, sequel content and they put out new characters from the prequels and stuff like that. And they added more custom games and more maps and everything like that. And to be honest, the game is beautiful, fun to play, and maybe the most uh, enjoyable Star Wars experience as far as like the movie content goes. Uh, But now everybody's like jumping back on it. And that's crazy. It's really interesting because, like, I'm not, I'll, I'll cop to not being the hugest Star Wars fan, but I, you know, I, I'm a person with eyes. I can recognize the, the magnitude of the Star Wars fandom, and this game really stands out as an example of one of those games that people will stick with, you know, for years after launch, and their commitment, you know, players' commitment to the game long after launch is part of what leads to the development team pouring more resources into getting, you know, it fixed. Um, ostensibly, that was what um, the plan was for the more recent Avengers game. Um, who's to see what will become of that in the future? But with Battlefront 2, what you can see is like, oh, like they more or less like got it into a workable, interesting shape where now it's kind of like, well, 
is there value in going back to diving into it now? And because the nature of Star Wars is so like focused on nostalgia, I think that there's an argument to be made that even though the game is old, there's no reason that new people couldn't get into it right now. Yeah, it's it's like it's people are going to jump into this game if, you know, with with new access to it via the Epic Game Store. And they're going to immediately be drawn to the fact that, like, yes, you can play as Luke Skywalker in a, you know, giant open world, you know, combat situation, as well as you can play as Kylo Ren or Leia or, you know, BB-8 or the evil (laughs) version of BB-8, which is another droid that I can't remember the name of right now. But uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely it it had the trappings there to wait for an audience to like re-remember it or, you know, find new access through mm. another uh, outlet. Uh, and it's interesting to see people so excited about this game that's been kind of been on on the the, the sidelines for so long. Uh, it kind of has me interested into like the future of not only Battlefront 2, but also EA's continued, you know, commitment, which they said in their own tweets uh, that they continue to want to, you know, work with Star Wars games, Lucasfilm mm. in general. I mean, it's interesting. This is a really uh, fascinating week for projects that have sort of been like long in the making, finally kind of having this renewed resurgence in the public eye. Um, we all saw for the first time this week the first trailer for the upcoming. Goodness, I'm not even sure what you would describe it. It's not necessarily just a crossover. It's uh, Godzilla versus Kong, um, the long awaited clash of, you know, the monsters between, uh, you know, the great kaiju, a big, you know, big hairy lizard, big hairy lizard. I, mean, I guess Godzilla's a little hairy, but a, a big hairy gorilla and um, a radioactive dinosaur who have in their respective movies both been cast as heroes. And now with this, um, in that very Batman v Superman fashion, they've been posed as like enemies and we're all leaning into it. But I think it was, it's been really fun to see how people, even though they're leaning into the conceit of like these monsters wanting to destroy one another and their surroundings, where we all kind of get that it's not just about like who's the strongest. It really is just about the spectacle of seeing these things just like chop it up with each other. Yeah, which is which is something that I'm I'm I, I shouldn't be okay. Let me say this very clearly. <laughs> Via the 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 last iteration of Kong, the uh, uh, what was the name of the last one? Kong, Skull uh, not Kong, not Kong. Uh, sorry, Godzilla, uh, Kong, Godzilla, Kong. King of the Monsters. Yeah, yeah Godzilla, yeah. King of the Monsters. It got a lot of things wrong. I'm gonna oh, admit to that. Oh, uh, oh, oh. I, I feel I feel like a lot of the I don't know the human stuff, the uh-huh. the, the down on the ground stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, felt like it detracted a lot from like whatever story they were trying to tell. It 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 kind of lulled the movie into a weird uh you know kind of I don't know boring. boring oh sure pace. sure 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 yeah. We all love seeing Millie Bobby Brown like act but it's like sis like get out of the way there's monsters fighting don't like you don't really have time to be out here screaming whereas kong skull island i i will say like none of the human characters had any arc whatsoever literally how they entered the movie is how they exited the movie and i had that criticism to say about the movie at the time but upon a second watching back in the day i realized kong at the very least pulls off a very interesting entertaining and even like charming at sometimes spectacle of a movie mm-hmm. it has like pretty good pacing uh it doesn't overthink itself or like over uh, step what it's capable of obviously i think at the end of that one was the one where they really set up this whole like broad world of other monsters because like uh kong was the introduction of the that's that organization that documents and tracks the, the monsters yeah the, the monsters like that uh so you know, the the last Godzilla movie, I'm not really excited about, uh, you know, like what these guys are doing, especially after like loving something like Shin Godzilla, which was beautiful. Uh, but regardless of that, this movie, I'm 
I'm curious how it's going to pull off. Are they going to be, are they going to get too mired in the details of like, what are the humans doing? Or are they going to make it, you know, fun enough that you can, you can just kind of sit down and enjoy the spectacle? I mean, I feel like the criticisms about the human focus in the most recent American Godzilla are very valid, right? Like the, oh, my child, I need to go find them. It's like, who cares, dude? Like <laughs> the world is literally be, like being besieged by monsters on yeah. all fronts. Like I, I, good luck, but move. Um, that is like, that's valid. But at the same time, I think that you are not doing or not giving enough credit to just like the sheer beauty of the goddamn movie when Mothra is like, hello, I am Mothra. And she unfolds her wings beneath the like the 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 waterfall. It's like, oh, my God. Yes. And then later when she comes by, like, above the ocean, it's just in, it's insane. And it's it's how to put as much as the narrative, like the, the the actual story of the most recent American Godzilla was nothing to write home about the sheer i don't want to keep using the word sheer because it was it wasn't just a spectacle um a lot of the shots were truly like beautiful they were gorgeous to see and it's the thing that a lot of people love about shin godzilla myself included is that it feels very much like a cerebral godzilla movie it is a godzilla Mm -hmm. movie that understands the you know the the majesty of godzilla but also the deep primal terror that he represents right and Mm -hmm. how that's Mm -hmm. those are emotions that you feel just when you see when you see Godzilla, even in its like larval, disgusting form, when it's like oozing blood, it's like you're like, I don't know, like that's disgusting, but I know it's gonna mess me up real bad. And then by the time he starts doing, you know, um, Evangelion beams, it's like, ooh, like y'all are fucked. I don't really, I don't know how you're meant to get out of this. That's that is a kind of Godzilla story, you know. But that's not to say I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that that's the end all be all. And I think that the promise with something like um, this upcoming, you know, Clash of the Titans, this uh, Godzilla v Kong. Um, is kind of an opportunity to use a monster v monster story more effectively. I think that as beautiful as the the previous Godzilla movie was, um, in having all of the monsters jump out, there was a point where it's like, oh look, here's Rodan doing a barrel roll. That's really cool, but it's like, I, humans, why are you even trying? What are you doing in the sky? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes like when the story becomes about the humans, it's like, oh no, you're really not paying attention to what the magic is here. With yeah. Kong and Godzilla being the real focuses of this movie, right? And with us as an audience having this built-in, you know, investment, you know, in either of them being a hero. Obviously, Godzilla is supposed to win, but there are people out there who want Kong. That's their business. Um, <laughs> you know, that makes that makes the fight itself something that the story can be more interesting about, which you've seen little bits of just in the trailer. Because it's like, of course, Godzilla or um, Kong is going to use tools because he's just a big-ass gorilla. And he gets um, what is essentially just... Kong's Mjolnir that's absorbing uh, Godzilla's radioactive <laughs> breath. And it's like, I don't know what that is, but I like it. It looks cool. I'm excited about it. Okay. So what I'm realizing is that we both have a lot of opinions about Godzilla and King Kong, <laughs> we, and we probably should make this an episode that we talk about later instead of spending this entire Star Wars episode talking about Godzilla and Kong. Yeah, we we, we, we are definitely, obviously this episode is all about Star Wars. Um, but before we get into the meat um, of the galaxy far, far away, um, we wanted to hit on uh, one last news story that in a way actually does lead into our conversation about Star Wars. Mm. Um, at this point, I feel like everybody who uh, is on the Internet has heard about what's going on with the subreddit R Wall Street Bets. Um, it has become the unlikely focus of the financial news of all things for reasons that seem complicated from afar. And we're going to break it down real quick. Um, goodness, where to start? Um all of this really began when, you know, people who were called retail investors, uh, which are just like 
regular people like you and me, um, they started buying up stock in GameStop and AMC theaters. And this led to um, what you will hear called a, a short squeeze on the stock that in GameStop's case, right, led to the stock price jumping um, up to $500 mm-hmm. a share this week. So in addition to what we would consider normal people suddenly being able to make a lot of money on this because game mm-hmm. stocks stock was very cheap before this, one of the big things to come out of this story initially um, was uh, one big firm, um, Melvin Capital, that's a hedge fund, that would had a lot of short positions stock in GameStop before all of this. Um, in response to all of these, you know, these Redditors, you know, people like to call them trolls because they are people on Reddit who are making really risky bets just by reading the room. <laughs> that is what it is. Um, these people's actions essentially forces hedge fund into a position where they had to get rid of their short positions rather suddenly in order to cover yeah. their losses. Right. Um, this is technically a bailout that came in the form of getting money from other hedge funds to the tune of two point seven five billion dollars. Um, this isn't taxpayer money. It's hedge funds being like, ah, oh, shit, dude, like my investment is really killing me right now. Can you help me out? And they've all gathered together. Um, but now what has happened, what we saw today in particular was as more and more people were really sort of reaping the rewards of this, this sudden, mm-hmm. you know, manipulation of the stock market. A lot of platforms like Robinhood um, and Webull that sort of market themselves as being easy ways for normal people to get into investment. They suddenly made it so that you could no longer buy the stocks. Um, in GameStop, with the explanation being, oh, we see something anomalous happening with this stock. And it's like, no, 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 this is just how the stock market works. What's happening <laughs> What's happening is the hedge funds don't like that it's happening so drastically and without their oversight, and they're being hurt by it in the end. Um, all of this, we wanted to talk about specifically because what's really fascinating about this, right, is you have these, these almost gonzo-like investors who are, in a way, like, fans right they they are engaging in fan behavior paying attention mm-hmm. to these things in these tiny insular communities and then making a little bit of noise um it's not always the case that fit the noise that comes out of fandoms reverberates you know throughout the larger cultural space um but with this in particular uh, because they were dealing with the stock market and messing with people's money you know playing the game mind you playing their own game but messing their mm-hmm. people messing with their money and doing and doing so um Everyone's paying attention to it now. And you are seeing people in positions of power coming out being like, oh, no, 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 Robin Hood, what are you doing? Um, why, yeah. why, are you, why are you essentially trying to manipulate the market? Why can we suddenly see the invisible hand? And why is it really not playing fair? No, 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 yeah. no. Um, and I just wanted to like bounce this idea off of you that like, as much as we are sort of like cheering the heroes and villains of this story, what we're seeing here really is kind of like fascinating fan behavior in a way. It is. It's it's in, in, on a podcast that we talk about, you know, the the control of the canon that the fan base can have, you know, alongside in a symbiotic relationship with those who are normally control of the hard canon. This is the real world implications of that, of uh, a, a, you know, the soft canon coming into the hard canons world and uh, really affecting what everyone you know, is is accustomed to and, and really upturning things in a very, let's say, costly way. Right. And it's not a one-to-one com- comparison, but it is sort of like a power dynamic where it's, you can look at it from afar and say, huh, all right. And you can, un- I, I rather, from, from me personally, I look at this and I think to myself, I wonder how the corporations look at behavior like this and think to themselves, mm-hmm. how do we go about trying to maintain amiable relationships with people who we want to sell products to? When mm-hmm. we've encouraged them to, you know, read the text, read it is that 
we're doing in terms of making our financial decisions. And they're trying to emulate us in what might have initially started out as being just like people um, casually trying to emulate people that they looked up to. And now they're kind of really walking the walk and talking the talk. And in the case of Wall Street in particular, you see people balking at it and saying, no, 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 don't do this. Um, but because everyone can really see the facts of this all laid out on the table, there's really no explanation other than, oh, you just don't, you don't like it when we play the game the way you do. It's, it's very interesting to see this play out in real time. It's very interesting to see people like, you know, not to get political here, but people like, uh, uh, Kazuya, uh, 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 yeah, she, AOC came out and said, yeah, this is odd. It was it was funny because we were all joking yesterday when uh, President Biden's press secretary came out and said, mm, we're monitoring the situation, which I, I took as like, oh, yeah, like you saw the reports and said, hmm, weird. But then AOC is like, listen, if we need to open up an investigation into manipulation of securities, let's do that. And in this weird landscape that we have where politics becomes a, like politics has always been a sport, but we really do treat it like a fan sport now. It's all of this is really being put on a center stage, at least online, in a way that the people who are paying attention to are taking a lot away from, I think. I legitimately refer to her as AOC so often that you just heard my brain forget what her actual full name is. <laughs> Shame because on I, you. She's, she's like, she's like turned into like some sort of member of the X-Men where I know her by her mutant name more than her like real name now at this point. And so AOC has just been locked in my brain and my brain went, nope, we've forgotten what that was. So I think that's uh, that's enough for the news that's happening uh, right now. I want to talk about Star Wars. I want to talk about, you know, uh, George Lucas, Lucasfilms, yes. Dave Filoni, High Republic. I want to do all that. Let's get into Stay the Canon. Okay, so we're coming off of, you know, the end of season two of Mandalorian on Disney Plus. And it's very clear that with the end of season two of Mandalorian and that big old investors meeting that Disney held, uh, you know, basically uh, showing everybody all the cards that they have in their hand. Mm-hmm. Uh we're at this new jumping point for Star Wars, which is exciting because it's been, you know, we've kind of been living in the sequels world for a while. Uh, Mandalorian was the first venture outside of that world um, and by far was actually a bit more successful and 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 happily received by the fan base than the sequels. Um, and so now with Mando finishing season two and, you know, setting up all these other little TV shows like Asaka and, you know, the and Bad Batch and all of that, uh, we're we're at we're at we're at a new point where Star Wars is going to have to, again, define its next, you know, canon. Um, and so I, I, I wanted us to sit down and talk about that. Yeah, it's, it's it was really interesting to see the Mandalorian be deployed because it was the first it's, it's it wasn't obviously it wasn't the first star wars series um we've got the clone wars um mm-hmm. that is much beloved um and has become a lot of people's um definitive text for star wars but with the mandalorian um not only was it going to be one of the first big live action series on disney plus um it was ostensibly going to bring or at least attempt to bring a lot of that cinematic star wars magic to the small screen and the big question was a, how effectively can you do that, depending on the budget? Obviously, for mm-hmm. Disney, money is very little object. But even still, like, you know, in the wrong creative hands, it might not necessarily work. Um, and then B, was like, who is this going to be about? Um, the conversation about Star Wars projects is always, you know, are we just going to rehash what already was? Or are you going mm. to try something new and then either not stick the landing or not really commit to it? Um, mm. And with The Mandalorian, it, in retrospect, looking at the first two seasons... 
it is interesting in that it feels like a skunk works project right on paper you look at a character like the mandalorian and to me he reads immediately like boba fett right he is mm-hmm. a mandalorian um but beyond the beyond the um, the stylings of the mandalorian as a culture everything about the way that the show was teased and talked about really spoke to that segment of the star wars fandom that has had a die hard love of boba fett fine right you're like all right mm-hmm. well they're going to try to tap into that and um as a part of their effort to uh, enter the the streaming wars. But then as the Mandalorian comes out, you see that it is, you know, it is tapping into that Boba energy, but it's also going for new elements of lore. You know, much as we all, we all, let me be honest. I was like, I don't even like Baby Yoda. Nope, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, Charles, did you hear that? Did you just hear that? Uh, I think I think it just everybody turned off this podcast. Everybody uh, just turned uh, off this podcast because okay, you admit okay. it's not liking Baby Yoda. Uh, whatever, Thank you. Whatever. Listen, I still have I still have my apprehensions about uh, <laughs> the the Wii Space Gremlin, but um, Yoda, um, Yoda, Grogu rather, Grogu has ended up be, you know ended up at least in the very first season becoming this really cool promise of the Mandalorian's ability to introduce a new segment of Star Wars while echoing elements of the previous stories but also being its own self and then to your point about um the investors call that had to have happened between season one and season two you can really see that once um the mandalorian caught on and once disney saw that they were they could tap into some of that same kind of like frenzied fervored energy that pops up around the movies but they could do that every week you know with mando they came back Mm -hmm. with season two and while it was definitely a continuation of the first season for me personally, it was like, oh, like we're you guys are really kind of turning up the heat on this in a way that is designed to goose fans' hype for it. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But as someone who is not as invested in the, you know, the trappings of Star Wars and who was being really won over by, you know, by new characters and elements like the frog lady and um, <laughs> she's cool. Bill Burr. Yeah. And, and, you know, noted space racist Bill Burr. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay. And then, but, but in season two, it's, you've got, um, Ahsoka shows up and it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, okay. It's that, that's huge. And I'm like, all right, great. What's, what's going to happen with her? But then she disappears and it's like, oh, okay. And there's like, and then actual Boba Fett shows up and it's like, oh, did it, did everybody get an invitation to the party? And it's like, apparently yes. Satine is back. She wants the dark saber. And then mm-hmm. Luke shows up by the end. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, it's like, my goodness, like you really weren't there. We joke about like, oh, you know, um, step off my neck here and we're you you can joke about that in a positive way but looking back on the mandalorian second season it did end up feeling often as if they were trying to really goose everyone's interest in it just by being like remember this person they're still alive and it's like we know mark hamill is alive he's on twitter all the time we we, we he's where he's good we know he's down we know he's down to do star wars make those cameos count right um or at the very least, dole them out in a way that doesn't make it seem like it's a very coordinated attack to keep fanboys frothing at the mouth. Um, that's not to say that what the Mandalorian is doing is inherently like the wrong route, but I do think it raises questions as to what the series' future is going to be. Obviously, after yeah, because yeah, we, you know, we we you mentioned earlier there are all of these upcoming spinoff series that you know have ties to this, and it's like, all right, are all of these shows going to go out of their way to be like? fascinating compelling stories or is it going to always be this very carefully executed like 
trap, trap, trap. And then here's Salacious Crumb. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you went there. <laughs> and it's like, cool, great. I'm, I'm glad Salacious Crumb was alive at this point in time in Star Wars that I'm now blanking on because there are so many of them and they're all spread across time. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, it's so funny. You bring up a lot of interesting points to talk about. I, in kind of prepping for this episode, I have, um, I have a lot of like, you know, major Star Wars fans. I'd consider myself a Star Wars fan. I enjoy it. I love it. I have consumed every ounce of it, you know, um, and, 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 you know, I've, I've read the comics, you know, I watched not all of the cartoons, but, you know, at least watched some of it, uh, a lot of the important episodes that were pointed out to me. Um, but I have like the major Star Wars fans that that's that they devote their entire life. My heart mm-hmm, is set mm-hmm. for X-Men. That's where I have devoted my love and care <laughs> towards. But I asked a lot of these guys just out of curiosity to come from uh, my friends and there. And to be fair, there's, there's some of the more, uh, let's say well-mannered Star Wars fans sure, sure. We love, uh, we love where, where they, fans. they, they have a bit of a, of a, of a, of a larger perspective on the whole thing. And they also come from a production background, but I asked them, you know, like, what do you see as the healthiest you know uh path forward with star wars is it you know focused on nostalgic uh you know uh uh fan pleasurement you know of of making sure that you constantly are like oh here's luke again and mm-hmm, here's mm-hmm. yoda oh here's here's look there's a lightsaber it's like is it that kind of thing or is it trying to utilize the star wars universe as an engine to introduce new characters new right. stories new planets and that kind of things and the consensus from the from a lot of them was that uh, it has to be a mixture of two because of how the Star Wars fan base has you know reacted to everything. Mm. Mandalorian's a great example. You pointed out you've got you know nostalgic esque you know things that are happening even in the first episode. You have Carbonite you know right, showing right, up, right, 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 and people are like, oh, I know what that is, and that kind of thing. And also in the first episode, you show up Baby Yoda, and people are going to obviously be hooked by that. But you know. Pedro Pascal's performance of Mando is a new character we've never experienced before. And his supporting cast was mostly people that we've never been introduced to. Uh, you know, obviously later on, Boba Fett shows up in Asaka in season two. But season one was them, you know, very much trying to create a new story, but within a recognizable environment, um, you know, all told through TV. But I, I, it's it's interesting to see where Star Wars is moving forward because it very much feels like with someone like Dave Filoni at the helm of a lot of this, he recognizes Dave Filoni like understands star Wars in a way that I don't know if anybody else has thus far Mm. in that he is, he, he manages to be the biggest fanboy ever. He's literally been considered like the guy who fact checks other star Wars, you know, uh, uh, narratives to make sure that they're not contradicting with what's happened before. Yeah. But he also like, wants to introduce new characters i mean that's what clone wars was was like okay yeah we're gonna have you know anakin and we're gonna have obi here but they're gonna be surrounded by a bunch of new characters that we're gonna like focus on and we're gonna introduce asaka and everything like that and and so i think dave is an interesting character that is able to ride that line and i hope they can continue to do that going forward with both the tv show and this whole new venture into the literary area with uh the high republic yeah you know you're bringing up what the future of star wars is and what lucasfilm has ultimately decided to do at least for its next immediate big push out in the into the pop culture space um is actually jumping into the past with the high republic um which is the umbrella term for 
a series of books and comic books that are set um, hundreds of years before the initial trilogy um, and focus specifically on the Jedi Order when they were at the height of their power throughout the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very, I'm trying to find a word for it, having read through a little bit um, of some of the novels and some of the, the, the High Republic comic how to describe how to describe the first order it's not even necessarily so much about seeing the jedi occupying power in the same way that the sith would have it really is about looking at a picture of the galaxy in which the force is still not even all that much of an understood um like known quantity it's just that the jedi are in a position and are multitudinous enough to be able to be messing with the force in experimental ways um, that are sort of defining the future of the Jedi Order. Um, and that is just sort of the general setting for all of these new adventures that let you know um, what the former greatness of the Jedi, that's always been alluded to, but never really been fully expounded on, what that explicitly looks like. Um, just mm-hmm. on paper, that's, you know, on paper, that to me is like, oh yeah, like I would, as much as I will always have a bone to pick with Star Wars being out of order in my mind, just like the fact that the franchise started that way will always be a, a smudge on its existence. Like, mm-hmm, okay, sure, sure, sure. That's how counting works. Um, yeah. But as someone who is always interested in the deep lore, the High Republic represents this really great jumping on point, you know, um, for people who want to get a big picture view on things and perhaps find new characters to be able to really dig into and have fun with. Um, the big news around the High Republic, um, unfortunately, this week had nothing to do with its release, but rather about mm-hmm. some of the the backlash um, surrounding um, the Star Wars. Because how is it? The the name is rather complicated. It's the Star Wars: The High Republic Show, which is yes. a YouTube show um, hosted by Christina Ariel um, that digs into all of the new projects that happen to be falling within the High Republic. Um, talking mm-hmm. to authors, artists, all of those kinds of people. Um, she was announced um, earlier as the host. She was announced earlier this year during um, an overall presentation of the future of Star Wars. Um, and pretty quickly, people latched on to some tweets of Ariel's from last year. Um, she was commenting um, in June, speaking to the larger moment that everyone needs to recall, obviously, when there were protests around the country um, supporting Black Lives Matter and drawing attention mm-hmm. to the existence of systemic racism within mm-hmm. America and across the globe. And she made some comments essentially saying that white people should not feel comfortable absolving others of racism. Rather, mm-hmm. when we're talking about instances of racism, it's not white people's responsibility to say we accept you know, we accept your apology. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Star Wars fandom is a very peculiar kind of beast. It is humongous. It is so large that it can feel like it's a part of the atmosphere. You had such a good way when we were prepping for this episode. You had such a good way of putting it that I never thought of it. Where almost the Star Wars, Star Wars has like a monopoly on the fan base in that it encompasses so many people who are part of this nerd culture, you know, people group that you that venn diagram of star wars is that star wars is around the venn diagram of everything else yeah that's it it, it, that's a different conversation to get into about you know what happens when a fandom gets humongous but i don't think that anyone is interested in debating the reality that like star wars is huge it's everywhere it even it extends beyond um the text of any star wars thing itself it is in it's everywhere you look 
Um, and so when things happen within the, you know, the explicit Star Wars space, there's always the possibility that things are received negatively. Um, what was really uh, good and heartening to see with Christina Ariel in particular was that even though this kind of targeted dogpiling on people, I think it should be noted, uh, Christina Ariel is a black woman, right? Um, and she mm-hmm. experienced a lot of targeted harassment that, um, you know, was racist. I mean, there's no, I'm not going to mm-hmm. sugarcoat it. Like they came at her in a very ugly derogatory way. Yeah. Um, but what was really great to see was that pretty quickly people within uh, Christina Ariel's orbit and people within the Star Wars fandom not only clocked exactly what was going on. Oftentimes people like to pretend, oh no, what is this? I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, but it was like, oh no, like I, I understood what she said. I'm not going to take it in bad faith and I'm going to support her against this targeted harassment. Um, this, we, we've had this, we, I mean, us as, as uh, fans have had this kind of conversation about this kind of backlash harassment before, um, specifically with Star Wars. We all remember um, the, goodness, the inordinate amount of grief that John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Kelly Marie Tran, that they all mm-hmm. experienced um, for, you know, being in Star Wars movies and not being white men. You know, that is the, that was the, that was the through line that they all were able to touch on in different ways, you know, being, yeah. you know, having to, being able to, to speak about it in varying capacities. Um, John Boyega, most recently, now that he is free of Star Wars, essentially, you know, he's, he's no, you know, he's no longer explicitly connected to it. He's been like, yeah. yeah, I talked about, I talked about all of these things. I talked to these things. Um, I talk about these things with the executives working at Lucasfilm. Do you see the way that I am being treated online? Do you see the way that my character's treatment in the movies fuels my abuse online? Um, yeah. Which dovetails back to what we were talking about earlier, right? This way in which fandoms are now in a position where they can see the ways in which their conversations are being reflected in the conversations that are being had. Yeah you know, by executives, by people who are working within the industry. And it's tricky, you know, because that kind of feedback loop can be a good thing, right? Yeah. Fans are being yeah. like, yo, the black actor who you've trotted out is being integral to this new Star Wars trilogy and we're real hyped up for him. He's um, being called all kinds of slurs online and we really wish that you would come out and shut that down. Um, yeah. You, if you can look and see, uh, to say nothing of whether or not anything comes of it, but if you can look and see that it's being acknowledged, that's great. But by that same token, what does it mean when you have rabid fans who look at something like Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi and have, oh, I'm not, <laughs> to say like bad reads on the movie is a bit of an understatement, but we all saw what, yeah. how, that, how that played out. And how even though Disney and Lucasfilm might not have been like, we heard you, it was obvious that the, the response yeah. to that film really kind of shook the studios. Yeah, it it definitely wasn't a response like akin to, you know, the Sonic movie where the Sonic movie was like, okay, we we hear you. We are literally reanimating the movie. We appreciate your feedback. We're going to get back to you with the new look. We promise Sonic can look sexy and good and new. Okay, just give us like three extra months and we're fine. It wasn't that. But it was like, I mean, they had teed up Ryan Johnson to be the herald of the future of Star Wars. I think during The Last Jedi is when they announced like, yeah, Ryan's going to be in charge of a mm-hmm. whole new trilogy and do, 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 that's going to be the future. And then Last Jedi comes out. 
A lot of people have mixed takes on it. I'm being nice here. And uh, it, it, you know, Disney obviously took a a, a bit of a different turn. They yeah. took the movie away from, not that Ryan was supposed to necessarily direct the third movie, but he was kind of teed up to do it. JJ takes over. JJ almost like undoes everything that happened in The Last Jedi. JJ uh, tries mm-hmm. to piece together something in the end that finishes that trilogy and, you know, uh, you know, kind of almost... I don't want to say it apologizes to the fan base, but it kind of almost felt like that. It kind of felt like it was an attempt at making amends for what they might have perceived Last Jedi did damage with. Mm. Uh, and and so whether or not it's explicit or not or not that the conversation that Lucasfilm and you know Kathleen Kennedy and all of them have with the fan base, it was implicit that like oh enough people who are Star Wars fans right. could get noisy enough about it and they can really shift something as big as you know the feature film final movie of, of a, a trilogy, trilogy yeah that's been in the making for you know six years now yeah um and and that kind of sparks the conversation that i don't necessarily have an answer for but it you can't help but think like is there such a thing as giving the fan base too much of a voice mm. um there's there's a level of ownership that i think has to be you know, participated with any fan base and any fandom that's that's enjoying stuff. I think that 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 is healthy. That is good. That that is that that's part of being a fan. Is you know, it's like it's like being a part of this like little 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 tribe, this little cult. Mm. Um, cult's probably the worst word I could have said right there. <laughs> no, I get what you mean. And with Star Wars, I mean, especially like diehard fans, hardcore fans, they they can't deny it. There is this way that Star Wars is kind of built around this promise of a nostalgic experience, especially for adults. Um, Galaxy's Edge is not just a theme park. It is this way for you to live out your Star Wars fantasy. Like, go and build yourself a lightsaber. <laughs> Hell yeah, do it. Swing it around. I'm gonna drink blue milk. You're gonna okay? drink blue That's milk. What I'm gonna do. You're gonna get yourself some of that weird space yak meat. Like, it's gonna be fabulous, right? But you do have to understand, but there is a way in which you have to bear in mind that what, like when you're being sold nostalgia that way, um, and this is something that both parties, I think, have to bear in mind. When you sell people nostalgia that way, it does lull people into this weird sense of like, this is safe. This is what I want. This is what I need. Mm. And mm. With, in the case of the most recent trilogy, I think, if anything, like to say nothing of J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson's talents as respective filmmakers, the biggest sin of the third movie was just that it did not have the tightness and cleanness of something that was planned. Now, mm. whether no, there, I'm not saying that like movies need to be planned in, like entirely in advance and executed flawlessly. Mm. No, 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 no. It quite literally is a question of can you pull off the theater of it, right? If, yeah. you know, if the final film really had been like, listen, this may not be the story that you want. This may not be the ending that you expected, but you can recognize how this story fits together in a tight, really kind of fitting way that does right by all of these characters. And it's going to be the close to it. And I think at the very least, even if the fan response was not better, people would be able to chalk this up to, all right, listen, they can't all be winners, right? That mm-hmm. is one of the things that comes along with being such a big fish in the pond. You mm-hmm. are going to have a lot of big swings and honey, they're not all going to connect. 
Um, yeah. But with the way that Star Wars, the way that people's relationships to Star Wars are so particular and personal, um, what is perceived as what I think can be easily perceived is like, oh, the movie does one good. Okay, move on. Um, people think it think, think of it as like this world ending event, this, you know, this cataclysmic mm. thing um, personally. And obviously from the studio's perspective, it's like, we need to make this money. But with Star Wars, it's like, you are making this money. So rather than backtracking, which is what, um, goodness, the, the final, the rise of Skywalker, the name, rise of Skywalker. the name escaped me rather than sort of like backtracking into a defensive nostalgic crouch position, which is what that often felt like. Just do what mm-hmm. you were going to do and be like, listen, we get it. You don't like it. I feel like that's kind of the case with Solo, right? Disney has not really made a lot of noise about Solo, but it's like, listen, Solo is the movie we put out and y'all are just going to have to deal with it. And we're going <laughs> to and we're going to keep it pushing um, because I think on like on a technical level, that film really you know, was able to dot its I's and cross its T's enough that people are like, I don't like it, but fine, fine. It's there. Um, yeah. In the future, you know, just thinking about what Star Wars has to do in the future. And I think that they already kind of are with the High Republic and coming out. Um, I meant to mention this earlier. Um, as people sort of really rallied around Christina Ariel, um, the hashtag I stand with Christina Ariel pops up. And then the Star Wars account like steps into the fray, you know, as like, hello, nerds. Just in case you were wondering, we support her <laughs> as you were, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that in a way is kind of an example of that just like stick to your guns approach. It's like, all right, you've committed to the High Republic, right? You've committed to the High Republic show as a thing that's going to be out there. And Christina Ariel's a host. Come out in defense and just put it out there. Um, yeah. That's an example of like, oh, goodness, the corporation's throwing its weight around. Like, this is the thing now. Either get with it or leave. Um, you can yeah. make your noise, but we're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to let it influence our decisions. And I think that honestly, that is the, that's the smartest thing that the company can do right now. Yeah. And that, that's the company being aware of, I think that, you know, hopefully being aware of that healthy relationship they should have with the fan base, but also being aware that like they, they, they're, they're this high Republic show. That's not the only place you're going to be able to consume Star Wars. If you don't really want to watch Christina Ariel, you know, talk about the High Republic, okay, don't have move to. on and and get and get excited about like one of the fifty different shows that are about to come out in the next two years, as well as any of the other comics that Star Wars is still making. Right, um, that's the wild get, thing because it really is. It really has gotten to the point where it's like, yo, like, what are you into? What do you want? You're like, well, I don't even like the Jedi. It's like we got the acolyte for you. Like, what's the acolyte? It's the Jedi, but they're Sith instead. It's like, I, it's, 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 it's both like that nerd dream, but now it's like, yeah. well, now that the dog is getting close to catching its tail, why are you still screaming? Go get what you want and leave people alone. Yeah. All that to say, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited, you know, personally as a Star Wars fan, I'm excited to see what they can do with a post trilogy world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni's execution of Mandalorian was, just great um i'm not going to throw out the word perfect but it was near perfect in the sense that it gave you know myself and the rest of the star wars fan base i think what we wanted and what we needed in that post trilogy world and uh if if they can continue to you know uh use that uh show as an engine to usher in you know the next era of star wars which sounds much more grandiose than it should be it is still just a show about space wizards uh but if they can use that as an engine to, you know, usher in something new, as well as High Republic can go in the past and kind of give us something new, um, 
that's great. I love it that you can you get both of both best of both worlds. You can you can continue to love to see you know people in Mandalorian armor, but also learn about like what were the Jedi like before you know Palpy took over. You know that kind of thing. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, we could probably talk about Star Wars for like three more episodes. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there. I so. mean, it's gonna happen. There's gonna more Star more. Listen, like the Star Wars will continue until morale no longer exists. And okay. <laughs> then, uh, then while uh, we have a good stopping point right there, I'd love to talk about our own personal head cannons for a second, if you don't mind. Yeah, hit me. All right. So you know, we've talked about how Star Wars has you know a million characters and and, and and all of these these stories to choose and pick from and everything like that. But I want to know, particularly you and me, Charles. Yes. Uh, if you your headcanon for the Star Wars character that just hasn't gotten the spotlight that you've wanted. Who is that, you know, salacious crumb mm-hmm. that hasn't, you know, gotten that moment that you would love to see? Like, what what really is there? And what is in your head you'd love to see there? <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that always keeps me from, like, loving Star Wars is, like, the names are obviously just the writers messing with real words. It's like, <laughs> salacious crumb. Like, I, I love to joke about how grief carga is just, like, an emotional baggage joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Um, but I will, I will admit, and this is a little bit of a cop out because she has been a part of the series. Okay. I love, love, like truly, am deeply committed in the life and adventures of one Pelimoto, played by Amy Sedaris in The Mandalorian. I, I, as a straight, is that the is, is that the chick with the? Uh... Wait, who is that? Excuse me, Pelimoto is a mechanic. She's the mechanic, the mechanic. that Mandalor- yes, like, that Mando yes, periodically yes. stops by. Okay, so like, I I need you, I need you, I need you to like truly like sink, like let this sink in. Like as a strangers with candy fan and a long time just like ooh, what if domesticity was a nightmare? Like dreamer seeing Amy Sedaris in a Star Wars thing as like a weirdo in the middle of nowhere <laughs> mechanic. I'm like. What is your life? What do you do? Where did you go to, like, where did you grow up? Like, who are your people? I want, I truly would watch, like, even if it was, like, even if it was, like, some Mr. Rogers shit, where it's just, like, her and the droids in her little droid shop, and she's like, all right, kids, we're doing stuff with sand today. I'm into it. I, 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 I I want that. But uh, tell me me about yours. I was so upset that then I I read some people when she was, like, introduced, they, like, Pinder as like the worst part of the series. What? Like, excuse no. me, she is no. a joy, Absolutely treasure, and not. gem. No, that's wrong. That's just wrong. I love her. I love her. I'm so glad that was your pick. I can <laughs> always count on you, Charles, to just have the best random takes that I will 100% get behind. I love it. All right. God, I'm sorry. It's just taste. Taste. That's the word for it. Um, <laughs> my pick goes a little bit further back in time. Okay. Um, we're gonna go back to the prequels. We're gonna go back to episode two. And we're going to go back to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi going into a cafe to ask some questions about a, a, a mysterious uh, dart shot by an assassin. And he meets his good old friend, Dex. Dex, <laughs> the the cafe owner who has, you know, a mysterious past with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I want more Dex. The, uh, the Obi-Wan show is coming. Like the, the Obi-Wan series is in development. You might get uh, some of this. You might. Man. 
Give me, give me some of that mustache. Give me some of that, that, that <laughs> greasy apron. Like, I love that. Like he alludes to like, he, there's, this guy has to have the most interesting story. He is the guy that like you go to a truck stop and you can see on his face that that man has lived not one, not two, but three different lives. And I want to know about every single one of them. I want to know about like the family that he left on a planet, you know, a galaxy away. Oh my God, because you're like he invested to, in this. No, he had to leave. Like he had to, he had to run away because. Because he, he got messed up with some sort of like illegal shit and he had to leave them to protect them. And now he's like opened a cafe and and then a Jedi walks in and makes friends with him. Like, I love this guy, Dex. Uh-huh. He is so interesting. <laughs> I want more Dex. Bring it to me. All right. All right. Dex, Dex it is. My God. I didn't know. I didn't realize that there were Dex stands out there like that. There's at least one. (laughs) All right, let's take this out. Yeah, all right. So that brings this episode of The Real Canon to a close. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, um, come drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, because it definitely helps us out. Yes, and if you're not already subscribed and you randomly, uh, you know, stumbled upon this weird podcast, why not change that? Our show's still growing, and we want to invite people to join us in the conversation, so be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at RealCanonPod as well. Yeah, so everyone get ready, get hyped, and we'll be back next week with more of the real canon. 